Welcome to Your Voice to the World. I'm Eddie Pinero. I'm Terrence McMahon. And we teach you how to share your voice. And build your business. And today, what do we got? We got a good one for him. We got Jordan Peterson's The 12 Rules for Life, An Anecdote to Chaos. This is a badass book. Lots of chaos out there. <laughs> Lots of chaos <laughs> out there. Uh, but it's it's really cool. A lot of pieces you can uh, apply to, to everything that you're doing. And I'm excited. I think it ties into the new uh, the new season. New it does. season, new us. It does. The anecdote to chaos. I love that. Yeah, that's that's a. We were just talking about that before we started. That's a concept that um, really applicable to to everything. The idea that, and I quote this all the time on Instagram, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, from chaos comes order. You got to have the the chaos and the clutter and the craziness in order to come out better and improved. And rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat. I never knew what that uh, yin yang really really uh, meant. I saw it on tattoos all the time in the yoga studio. Everyone's got one yin yang. See <laughs> <laughs> uh, two serpents that are the opposite. One's chaos and one's order. Mm. And the Tao believe the the line between that is uh, the 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 line you should walk with one foot in order and one foot in chaos, like kind of surfing. Relevant to this podcast. You know, it's right. been like, I mean, it's relatively new still. You go past past three months, it's like anytime we really step up um, and do something that puts us out of our comfort zone, we get there and we acclimate and we, you know, feel amazing. And then time to kind of, you know, stay there. You, yeah. you uh, move on to the next chaotic uh, endeavor. A little stretching of yourself, right? Want to speed date the... Uh... Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Yeah, let's speed date the 12 rules for life. Cool. First rule is my favorite rule. And then take it away. It's all you. Well, stand up straight with your shoulders back, right? When I do that, I'm just slightly taller than Eddie, but Eddie's actually slightly taller than me, but my chair's higher because I position it that way. <laughs> so I fall in a higher part of the hierarchy of life than you do. <laughs> There's a reason for everything you do. <laughs> uh, the, you know, that's a... Uh, you know, there's a lot of science behind this, and he he's going back to the the lobsters. That's what where he got it from the hierarchy of lobsters. And I actually used to own a lobster uh, company. Uh, we used to sell lobsters, and you can always see lobsters kind of squaring off when they're in the tanks. And there's always the biggest one that takes up all the space and kind of gets up in the air. And I guess that states that that's the number one lobster, the top of the top of the hierarchy. Yeah, and it's a 300 million year old. Uh, it's science. It's, it's really cool. So he, it, and he there's like kind of flirts with the, you know, political implications in and out. But I mean, essentially his um, main point here is that it's something so deeply ingrained in us that you we recognize that before we under, we, we ever saw trees. It's, it's, there's a lot of conversation around, um, you know, hierarchy being this negative thing and this socially constructed thing. And he says, absolutely not. Couldn't be more wrong. It's who we are as people. We, we, we form a hierarchy and, you know, he talks about how just a simple adjustment changes your physiology. Not only that, how other people see you, um, you know, their perspective of you and where they think you should fit. A lot of it is, is, uh, you know, it's imaginary. You know, like where where your perception is in this preconceived hierarchy. Yeah, and there uh, the the lobster in particular was well, he was reading a paper, and the lobster has a very uh, simple uh, simple yeah uh, biochemistry. It's, it's very very simple, and they 
they uh, when they do that, they excrete, I guess, serotonin, which which is a, a hormone that makes you, you know, more confident. Mm-hmm. It makes you ooze confidence, and humans have it too. Because someone who's depressed is low on serotonin, they kind of slump over. Right. And you know, that's you can almost identify someone who's not feeling well, who's depressed. You can always see the sense of sadness in them. Uh, you know, it's physiologic, physiological, but it's also chemical. Yeah. Uh, so that's kind of interesting. And uh, there was a TED talk by Amy Cuddy. I think it was called, she wrote the book Presence, and she has something that she encourages people to do before they talk, which is the superhero stance, where you kind of like look in the mirror and you, you prop up to get the chemicals going so you're ready to perform. That's uh, a really, kinda, yeah, really cool, cool point. He mentions like um, if you put antidepressants in a, a lobster, they'll be ready to fight again. Like it's, it's you know what I mean, for that particular uh, ascension in the hierarchy. Right. Uh, just a really cool thing. It, it made me think back. Um, is it You know how every once in a while there's something, it, it's almost, I want to say it's like a flash, but it's something mm-hmm. from your childhood or right. something like that that you remember. I remember I moved from Southern California to Cape Cod, Massachusetts, yeah. and I was in high school, and this is all new people, so you come in without any idea of what's what, who's who, who knows who, anything like that. And I remember... Um, you know, the big thing for kids in in in, uh, in high school is you're learning how to interact socially. Right. I mean, that's kind of the precursor to the real world, and hierarchy is a big thing. And I remember, you know, looking around and observing and seeing some of the biggest jackasses I've ever come across in my life act incredibly confident and carry themselves a certain way. And you know right away, like, okay, like when it comes to the hierarchy, the way things are, like you know exactly where things fall into play without talking to anyone, just seeing how people carry themselves. Yeah. And and I, that was just such an amazing thing to me because it's like you play this role in the world believes you. Jordan says that exactly verbatim. It's yeah. like that's what it is. It's like if you stand up and talk a certain way, present yourself a certain way, inject yourself into um, the hierarchy a certain way, it, it, it adapts. Yeah, the... The uh, success studies that were referenced was all about, you know, the people that have achieved hierarchy, you know, the highest level of of hierarchy have had the biochemical um, or the uh, physiological attributes. They're taller, they're they're stand up straighter, uh, but they also are uh, more intelligent. Competent. Yeah. Yeah. So they're they're oozing competence and confidence. Right. And that's a a big thing. You can almost uh, train yourself to do it. You can almost fake it into it. You know, you can kind of almost dress rehearse your way into confidence right. and competence. Um, and the one thing to do is to know what you're talking about better than anyone else does. Yeah. I mean, become an expert at something. Yeah. Talk about a lot about that. And it's, it's, it is half the battle. I mean, it, it, like it gets you in the door. I think, I think the way he puts it is like, it, it won't take you home, but why not? Why not at least put yourself in that position? Right. You know, but, <laughs> but he mentioned like, if you're, it's better to be three standard, uh, deviations uh, ahead of the norm in um, uh, competence or intelligence than it is wealth or financial, right. you know, compared to if you're comparing where the, both tracks will lead you when you're 40 right. because that's such a big player in, in how things ultimately end up. Yes, if you're born rich, doesn't necessarily mean you'll stay rich at 40. Exactly, yeah. yeah. In fact, if someone's born poor and smart and versus someone who's born rich and dumb, the poor and smart person will probably be in better place Right. Years later. It's like the classic, uh, want the fish, or do you want to know how to fish? A little bit of a stretch, yeah. but... Yeah, you that's, know. that's it, yeah. 
All right. For two. This is an interesting one. <laughs> Treat yourself like someone you are responsible for helping. Um, this is a, a really interesting one. Because we often treat other people sometimes better than we treat ourselves. Right. Um, uh, this one hit home with me because it, he referenced the um, when someone goes to the vet and the, the veterinarian prescribes the medication for the for the animal. Oh, right. They, there's a, the likelihood that someone will follow those directions is almost like 80, 90 percent that they'll do it and do it well for their pet. But when they are prescribed the medication from their own doctor... I guess the statistic is 30% of the time they don't even pick up the medicine. And over half the time, that if they do, they don't comply with the way you're supposed to take it. Mm. And I know this is true because I, you know, I had a, a liver transplant, so I have to take anti-rejection pills for the rest of my life. And I have to take them twice per day. I bet you take those things, though. I still forget <laughs> once in a while. Do you? Yeah, I get you forget. And, uh, but there, there's a, a high degree of noncompliance. Uh, imagine someone going through... Uh, if they did a survey with Mayo Clinic, and they, they're asking me after my transplants, I have alarms. You see the alarms on my phone. I carry, I carry them everywhere. Not that it's a big deal, but it's it's part of my routine. I do them in the morning, do them at night. But they're, they're, they they did a survey. They, they said, "How are you keeping track?" So I have alarms, and they and I was I was just curious, like, is this really a thing? As people, he goes, "Oh yeah, people like literally go into rejection because they haven't taken their medication, mm-hmm. and they waited in some cases years on dialysis and years on these lists to get their their, their organ, but they don't comply." Yeah. Um, How hap- about shooting yourself in the foot? Yeah, and I don't know why that would be because I think I think uh, I don't know. It's just like sometimes we're just not very very good to ourselves, you know. Yeah, yeah. I, I one of his theories is like we know ourselves, right. which means we know the dark side. We know all the things we've done that we're ashamed of and we don't like. Like I I don't know that necessarily about the people that you know. Even you can even argue your family, your friends. Right. Like there are things that so you're harsher on yourself. Therefore, it's harder to love yourself. Right. Um. But yeah, he, it's really cool uh, the way, and it's one of the things, he's almost like a, a poet with how he says things, but it, treat others the way you want to be treated mm-hmm. doesn't mean nice. It doesn't mean be nice, it, it's reciprocity, essentially. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, if if you treat someone a certain way, you expect it in return. Well, same thing for yourself. And and that's where he talks about, It's a it's a good time to talk about, you know, chaos and order. It's like, you have to put yourself in a position um, to achieve and to mm-hmm. grow, um, but understand that you know you got to set up little wins for yourself and and reward yourself and pat yourself on the back while also pushing yourself, being tough on yourself. Um, but it's all it's all one big component. You gotta you gotta love yourself. Yeah, and the dark side. Um, some pretty pretty interesting comparisons to like serial killers and you know exploration of some of the most dark people in history but you know Carl Jung talked about the dark side in a lot of his work that that's a reflection of what is possible that mm. you can have and everyone has a dark side deviant behavior like the book we're doing next week relentless right he talks about being born bad and we're taught to be good right like we're born like state of nature almost maybe. savage yeah. <laughs> yeah. Remember, like pure, we're pure animals when we're born and then we're, we're programmed into different things but we can always revert back to you know things that are you know survival instincts but right um you know, when you treat yourself well, you're treating yourself at its best. You're your own customer at the Four Seasons. Right. And we don't do that a lot. 
We, I mean, I think sometimes we think we're not good enough or we don't deserve it. And, uh, you know, we let your bodies go or you let, you know, you let your, uh, your trade go down the tubes, whatever. But that's, a, I think, a, a, a cool way to look at it. So you want to get, let's, let's get personal. What's, what, can you think of a time where maybe you had a realization like, oh, I need to start um, treating myself a certain way? Yeah, I mean, yeah, my whole um, my whole career as a CEO was uh, anytime I showed up anywhere with my peers, there's a lot, you know, we own franchises, so there's like 70 of us. And I was never, I didn't even graduate college. I didn't finish college. Yeah. So I was always thinking, like, maybe I'm not as good as this guy that went to this school or, or you know, they went to an Ivy League school or they lived in a better town. You know, I, was this, I always was thinking that I was just not good enough. And I think that hurt me in performing when the reality was, I mean, I have the same brain they have. My results in many cases were better. Right. In almost every case. So there's no good reason for me to, to, to beat myself up over something that didn't happen yet. Just sold yourself short. Yeah. And, uh, you know, now I know that uh, I'll go toe-to-toe with anybody. Any, anybody. And, you know, I've been to, I've been to the brink of uh, the end. So you, once you're there, you, you know, you can, you can, uh, you can, you can dance with anyone. Yeah. And anybody can do that. It's not just not just me. It's like, why did I have to get so far to the to the end to realize that these people make mistakes, these people have dark sides, these people um, you know, a lot of times they're just masquerading around. They're right. Not necessarily. They're scared too. It's um it's it's interesting that and, and it speaks to why it needs to be in this book, <coughs> that it's something that you you grow to, you right. evolve to. You know, I think I think for me, very similar to you. You know, the first thing that comes to mind, I could give you a million examples, but it's it's probably the first two or three years uh, as an entrepreneur, just constantly beating the bag out of myself. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I'm making progress, but the goals are so big, um, I sort of ignore the point where he's saying reward the small. Like, I just always felt like I wasn't doing enough. And it's great because you do more, but it's bad because you constantly feel inadequate. And right. that's just no way... Uh, to live your life, right. you know? Um, and so similar to you, I kind of had this realization where it's like, I mean, every I remember even playing fantasy baseball and I'd have a team, 10-team league, and I would just be winning by like, just in first by th- however many games and I would look at my team and be like, this team sucks, how? And it's just all, it's just how I operate. Um, but yeah, you learn to sort of move away yeah, from that. Well, you're, you're hard on yourself. Yeah. The uh, you, when you show us videos like that you've done, you're like, does this suck? <laughs> it's like, like this is uh, not quite yeah, hitting the yeah, mark. You might you know? only get a le- uh, five hundred thousand people to watch it. <laughs> the the cognitive bias there is the Dunning Kruger effect. We've talked about this before, where people that have extreme ability and talent, you know, that are that's obvious and sustained and and notable, don't think they're actually as good as people that have much less levels of talent for much less time. Fact is, people that do things for l- low amounts of time and haven't really done it at high levels think they're better than they really are, and people that have been doing things a long, long time don't think they're as good as they are. Right. And what happens is error is introduced a lot of times, and then also, you know, in the other, you know, like pilot error is one of the most common reasons planes crash. But the, the opposite is true. Like people that are super capable of doing more don't stretch, and uh, that's I think that's something you got to be. Very aware of. Yeah. No question. Let's roll on to number three. Befriend people who want the best for you. Mm. I think everyone learns that along the way. Yeah. Um, Really important concept. It's, you know, everything in your life is a resource or a tool in some capacity. Mm -hmm. And you're operating 
um, on all cylinders when you're surrounding yourself with the right tools and the right people. I mean, we, we always talk about, I think we've even done it on previous episodes, how it wasn't so much acquiring but cutting away that changed our lives. Right, you yeah. Know? The uh, detaching from from um, from people that are you're comfortable around too. I mean, you gotta want, you gotta pay attention to what people talk to you about, what, whether they're encouraging you or they're happy for you. Right. Right. When you get a big hit, are you around people that say "Great job, man," or are you around people that are saying "Great job," but why didn't that happen to me? Exactly. You know, that's the wrong person. You gotta detach, uh, decide, cut away from. Yeah. Yeah. Growing. I think. I think. Uh, you know, in this phase of my life, as I changed my my environment, my physical environment, I invariably left a lot of relationships behind. And um, that was a very deliberate decision, a hard decision. But by geographically changing where I was, I was also changing, you know, the people I spent time with, some of which, some of these people I enjoy very much, even to this day, it just was time to not spend as much time together. Right. Um, and, you know, making that decision um, is it? It's a hard decision uh, because it, it also it's also a lonely journey. Right. That's the, that's yeah. the hardest part. Yeah, loneliness is is yeah. uh, sometimes a, recreation's a lonely road. Right. Uh, recreating yourself. Um. I was talking to Steve the other day. So there's this uh, on you. There's a YouTuber and he talks. He's a previous abuser uh, of of drugs. I'm not sure what, but um, and he was doing great. And then he said when he went into the entrepreneurial thing, started his own YouTube channel, started to get it's just so lonely that he relapsed. Yeah. And I'm like, I, the first thing I did was show him. I'm like, I can so relate to that. I mean, not necessarily the substance part, but just feeling that social interaction is important. Having the right people around you. Yeah. Um, you know, it can be can be a lonely road. And yeah. Yeah, I, the 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 you know, when someone does that, they're looking, you know, when you do anything like that, you're trying to produce a feeling, you know, and when you're around the right people, it produces a feeling. And when you're around the wrong, it could be a very good feeling. And when you're around the wrong people, it could also produce a very right. good feeling. Right. But when you're around nobody, that's unhealthy. <laughs> <laughs> right. And Option C, yeah. also no good. Yeah. So if you're, you know, I think I always think addiction is a loss of connection. You're trying to connect to something. It's usually a feeling. And then, and then when people use their substances, there's a lot of debate over this, but when people use substances, it makes them produce, it produces a feeling that their body is unable to produce on its own. Yeah. And when you're around the right people, that's, that, that'll create, uh, you know, you're around the right people that, you know, inspire you. If you're talking about books or you're talking about something you love to do, creates a feeling. Camaraderie mm -hmm. is a feeling. Uh, and then the other thing is you're around the, the wrong people that are producing fun things that is a feeling that is also not too self-serving. Yeah. So cutting away is a big deal. It's kind of hyperbole, but there's a, a saying I came across. It was like, no one in life wants you to succeed except your mother, and even she doesn't want you too far from home. Because <laughs> <laughs> well, you'll, you'll leave. Yeah, you never go back. <laughs> I laughed at that a little bit, but I was talking yesterday to uh, someone at dinner, and she was asking about, you know, sort of the beginning of creating a, a platform online uh -huh. and what was the hardest part? What do I like about it? And I, I always say this, you know, the most challenging part, partly because it was so disappointing to me, was other than my immediate family, no one supporting me. I mean, it really shocked me. <laughs> it shocked me. And to the point where, like, it's you know, done now, gone, five years, six years down the road, things are happy, uh, you know, we're moving, we're making magic, all these things, I still think about it, yeah. and I, I don't think of those people the same, and she looked at me, and she was like, um, you know, I, I think 
you needed those people because it taught you to believe in yourself. Yeah. And um, I'm like, oh, man, it just caught me. It was really a deep uh, thing to say. But, um, you know, I, everything plays a role, you know, yin and yang, chaos, order. Well, yeah, I mean, you're, if, you're, if you're out there and you're trying to make, your, make something new, novel it's you know it's first thing is scary as shit and you're looking for reinforcement some kind of reinforcement particularly when you think you hit the mark and you look around and so nobody's responding and you say well is this thing even real um you know we used to do it when we had new uh, a new age i remember one kid once a uh, really nice kid he had all the designations he looked the part and his own mother wouldn't buy a policy from him Right. That's gotta hurt. Yeah, I was like, well, it, it tell you know what's going on. Is this is it not gonna happen for you? Because if your own mother won't buy something from you, that's a big problem. Because that's the one person <laughs> watching it. Because right, right. We used to kind of like say, uh, you know, if your parents don't want it, want you to be their financial advisor, you might want to be maybe a plumber or something. Yeah, switch it up for yeah. sure. <laughs> but uh, your social circles is one thing you have control over, and uh, you know, to change the fruit. You need to change the route sometimes, and nothing more important than your physical environment, your social circle, who you hang around with. You should want you to be the very best uh, version of you. And last thing I want to add to that, you know, um, is that it is a zero-sum game. There's always room at the top. I speak to this all the time because it shows up every single day. It's like there's no scarcity of opportunity. All your friends can win. You should want them to win. Mm-hmm. You should push them to win. Your fan, even people you don't know. Right. Um, you know, it's not this pie where you're taking away pieces and it's gone. Yeah. In fact, if you push and you help and you support those around you, guess what? It's going to come right back and ultimately you'll be better off. Um, so you want to surround yourself with people where that reciprocity, that give and take is always there. It's always available. Um, and, and, and there's a trust that it's there. Uh, it makes a Big, big, big difference. Yeah. Remember, he so, referenced the uh, the kid. I think he's a Harvard professor, but he's talking about one of his buddies. Also went to Harvard, might have been Harvard, and he's depressed and upset and anxious that his his roommate, his college roommate, did better than him. Oh yeah, pretty much everything in life. He's like crying about it, like oh, you know, his college roommate was Elon Musk. Yeah, it's a tough so, order. Like, how are you gonna? <laughs> it's like you're not doing as well as Elon Musk. Um, you know, all all the um, what does Kennedy say? All all uh, high tide raises all yachts. And that, that's that's the that's the true in everything. It's true in uh, you know you can see it in just pharmacies. You know CVS opens up and does well to be a Walmart or a uh, Walgreens right across the street. They both do better. Right. You know good people doing well is good. I know? love that Kennedy quote. I've never heard that. Yeah, the high tide raises all yachts. Wow. He was a sailor, wasn't he? Oh yeah. PT boat guy. Cape Cod. Um, compare yourself to who you were yesterday, not who someone else is today. It's a big one. It's a big one. Whoa. Um. So the main theme here, um, and this is pulled from one of his his lectures, he talks about the Pareto Principle Mm -hmm. and how if you take the square root of the total number, they do 50% of the work, right? So ultimately, that amounts to being a fraction of... You know, the bigger you get, the more drastic it appears, which means there's always going to be disparity in the world. It's just how life is. There's always going to be people that are better than you, doing more than you, whether it's art, business, you know, sports, whatever. And there is this this constant compare and contrast, and you will drive yourself insane right. if you don't compare yourself to who you were yesterday. 
Pareto. Let's let's talk a little bit about that. That was actually one of the, I think one of the biggest points in the book that I I didn't I never understood the Pareto principle like I do now. Yeah, I remember that because I lived it. If I had a hundred people working for me, twenty would produce eighty percent of the results. Right. Right. And the bigger the company gets, the fewer amount of people are carrying the bulk of the burden. So if you have a company with a thousand people, it's a few people that are carrying like fifty percent of the work. Right. And um, I think he calls it the Matthew principle in the Bible. For those that have everything, that will be given more. For those that have nothing, all will be taken away. Yep. And it's not like an anti-capitalistic concept. When you, get, when you work hard and you get results, and you keep getting the result, and you fight through the, the struggle, you create momentum, right? You create, it's a domino effect. You create momentum, and more opportunities come your way. Right. And it keeps happening and happening. Therefore, uh, because you put yourself out there, because you took the steps, because you took the hits to the head, as you do better, the momentum gets bigger and the dominoes get bigger. Right. And that's that's like that's not a political thing. It's it's a, I guess it's it's a you know a, a human law. Yeah. The, the the more you do, the more you get. The more opportunities come your way, the the more skilled you get. You know, when you fail, a lot of times you get really good at at, uh, at failing, so you figure out how not to fail. Absolutely. The, the hockey stick effect. Yeah. Um, universal law. It applies to the mass of stars, applies to cities. Right. Um, and people make the mistake of attributing it to capitalism, right? Like 88% of people in more than 2 billion, the, the lower 2 billion. All right. I just butchered that. The top 88 people mm-hmm. own more wealth than right. the bottom 2 billion. There we go. Right. That, and and then, uh, you know, people get really offended by that, but why? It's, you, it's, it's applicable to every single thing. Now, it's not that we shouldn't do something about it, right? The question right. is, what do we do? But understanding that, again, it, it, almost like the hierarchy, right. it's something that is a, a universal law. Yeah, I, think, um, I think the thought is that 84 people conspire to keep all their money within themselves. When it's, This is 84 isolated events where people did well so long at something it's compounding out of control. Yeah, right. You know, like um, Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger have their, you know, their, their 92 companies at Berkshire Hathaway. They've owned for a long, long time. Mm. And you know, it's not like they went out and bought a bunch of companies. They bought very few companies, but they've owned them and managed them impeccably for so long, it's compounding. Right. And you, know, that's, you see that with social networks. You know, guys that got in and girls that got in early had larger social networks, like the Kardashians, right? She's, got, she's a billionaire. She got in first. She's the first social influencer to sell cosmetics online. And now she's got a billion dollars. Uh, she had to make her a bad person. Right. I don't think so. No. Um, you know, she, she took the shots. She took the chances. Um, now, what to do about it is interesting. You know, I don't know what to do. It's, it's that, that one's above my pay grade. Yeah, well, that's where you take the political turn. I mean, I think for in terms of self-improvement and the stuff that we really want to nail home, I mean, the idea is the discrepancy is always going to be there between who you are and what you want. Right. Someone always going to have it. And so, you know, you want to look at who you were yesterday while pointing at the, like, you can't help but point at the people around you as your North Star. Right. Um, you know, and it, like, he, he talks about the book of Revelation, the Bible, you remember yeah, that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, because anytime you point to that North Star or an ideal, um, there's judgment that goes on. There's right. comparison and contrasting. It's healthy, but similar to what we were saying earlier, you just have to think about your progress, reward your little steps. Right. Um, so the people around you that have what you want 
they guide you and they direct you and they help you. Um, but ultimately, they're not your competition. You are your competition. And I, I don't know. I, I think that's the biggest takeaway from this. Uh, Look, think about so this. Like you have these people that have done well, these 84 billionaires. Let's take, take for example, because uh, last spring I was in Omaha, Nebraska, Warren Buffett, Charlie Munger, Tim Cook was there, the CEO of Apple, all the big players down in the auditorium. I was way up in the back, but there's 40,000 people there, and Charlie Munger and Warren Buffett are sitting there telling everyone exactly how they've managed these, these companies and built large businesses. They've both written books about it. Jordan Peterson wrote books. Everybody writes books who's done well about how to do well. So the information's available. They want them to do well. They would say, hey, look what I did, and look what's made me successful. Right. Ray Dalio wrote Principles. Like he legitimately wrote a book exactly on how to get the the results that he's gotten. He's put it on his website. He says, "Here's how I manage money. Here's how we got these results," and you can too. Like, it's not a uh, you know, you shouldn't compare yourself to who they are. You should model some of the things they've done to get make yourself better. Compare yourself to who you were by looking backwards from where you've been. Exactly, beautiful. You know, when you look back, like three years ago yesterday, I was lying on a hospital bed terminally ill you know I'm pretty much gonna die and now i'm here you made a little progress yeah <laughs> but it was it was a long road and i i tell you i look around if i'm with the wrong people one day i look around i think i'm like losing right sometimes you think you're losing and that's hard um but you got to shake out of it you got to catch yourself doing these things especially because success can be so incremental you don't feel it you know right it's uh yeah you have to look back to, to see it Watch yourself. You remember when we were doing our live event? We, we were doing our, uh, we did five or so fake presentations. Not fake, but we did rehearsals on Practice. a row. Yeah, yeah. yeah, we're practicing. The first one was horrible. Right. Uh, and they got better each time. So you, you know, you, the, the best way to kind of live this rule is to watch the video from the first one. Yeah. You know, if you videotape yourself, and, and, uh, and of course, this is one of the ways. Look at our first podcast compared to this one. Right. This one's much better. Hopefully. Better flow. Right. You refine it, too. I had a guitar. <laughs> I, was playing, I, was, I was playing guitar to an audience <laughs> on the first one, so yeah, I changed it a little bit. Yeah, you introduced some room for pilot error there. That's right. That's right. right. Let's go to number five. Don't let your children do anything that will make you dislike them. I can tell you all about this. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, I, I, this is an interesting concept because you know I have two two sons and I know what he I know what he means. Like sometimes people let their kids do things at home that no one in the world would ever let them do in a restaurant. Right. Right. And I, and then some of these people bring these untrained monsters to the restaurant and people like hey, don't like them. And actually, when they don't like your kids, they also don't like you. <laughs> by extension, by association. Um, I, I guess it's a you know kind of a a guide to making sure your kids have, you know, good social skills, good, they're nice people. You know, they're not like, you're not appeasing them at home to, uh, you know, kind of kind of train them, I guess. That's, yeah. what I, that's what I took from it. Um, you know, don't let them do anything that make you dislike them. He also says that as a psychologist, like everyone says, Mike, I could never have my son do something that would make me not like him. And he, and he claims that's not true. Like some people, they they do. They, they say, "Well, my kids are aren't behaving well." Be real about it. Um, but that's that's kind of uh, what I took from this. My my limited take on this rule. Yeah, I don't think there's there's. Any, I mean, he talks about making your child socially desirable. Have you ever done anything that made your parents dislike you? Um. Yes. What'd you do? Steal? No. Um. 
I was, you know, I think I think my mom would admit this. I was the firstborn, so she was the toughest on me. My, What'd you so do? Was my dad. Nothing. Um, you had to do something. Yeah, like like ding dong ditching and stuff like that. You know, that's horrible. Feels like the end of the world at the time. <laughs> you um, never lit a bag of crap on fire and put it on someone's punch porch. I I didn't do that. And one. Get caught. Okay. We. Uh, that's nothing then. <laughs> I remember once uh, in in my uh, Blink One Eighty Two phase, I wore a stud belt and scratched up the the chair, like stuff like that. You know what I mean? Not not that's like when dark, I sat down. That's your dark side. No, I wasn't like rubbing it against the <laughs> chair, but I sat down and messed. Just a little thing. I mean, you know. That's your dark side. Everyone's got. If that's my dark side, I'm all right. <laughs> I'm not too bad, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, everyone's got a dark side. Not like Charles Manson. Woo! Number six, set your house up in perfect order before you criticize the world. Mm. Yeah, so this one, it's uh, a theme in a lot of my content. Um, the idea of not projecting out, mm-hmm. but first asking what you can fix. Right. Um, one's a cop-out ultimately won't get you anywhere right. and one will transform your life because it it, it ultimately re- moves you from being a victim to someone in control right and you can't win if you're not in control uh so yeah this one really hit home for me a powerful uh yeah, lesson instead of owning something you know and you start to blame something i think he talked about uh the police in poland that were um after the war they were assigned uh, over to um to do some pretty ridiculously heinous things, and it would have been easy for them at the time to blame, you know, Hitler or Stalin. These are two horrific people, but the reality is that they they were participating willfully in this in this event, um, and you know, own the things that you that you've done and have brutal reality about it. You know, what's the real facts about what's going on? What went wrong, and what was your role in that? Yeah, a lot of people are always pointing uh, pointing fingers at you know what went wrong, what was the issue. How do you pronounce that? Gulag Archipelago? The, oh, the, the Gulag Archipelago. Gulag Archipelago. Um, yeah, I did, butchered that, but, uh, I mean, that example is mind-blowing. Where you got that, that, you know, he's in the front lines, uh, the Russian front, then he's in, in the, you know, the gulags, and he doesn't blame Stalin or Hitler, yeah. you know? He asks, what did we do to get us here? Right. And ultimately creates in writing that the resource that helps bring down the regime. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, uh, that's uh, to me, that's an astounding example. I mean, that's that's larger than life. That's yeah. world changing. But it can be all the way down to, to the micro level, to, to the things you're doing. You know, why didn't I get that promotion? It's so easy to be pissed. Call your boss an idiot. Right. Say that the person next to you didn't deserve it. Um, or ask the question that will ultimately get you somewhere, which is, what can I do to change to make it happen? Right? Yeah, when you own something, it's a, it's on record, and now at least you can start working on getting getting past it and moving above it and beyond it. Right. When, you, when you're pointing away, you never get to, you'll never resolve things. Right. Uh, you know, good to great. Jim Collins talks about the Stockdale principle, where Admiral Stockdale, who who ran for vice president at one point, was in the the Hanoi Hilton. He was in, in prison, and he was with a lot of prisoners, and everyone was always uh, thinking they'd get home that Christmas. And, the, and, the, and their their captors told them Christmas was coming, and they thought they'd be home by Christmas. And they said, "Oh, they'll be they'll be here by Christmas." And those that thought that died, 
you know, those that thought that died of a broken heart. And Stockdale lived, he says, because he confronted the brutal reality of the situation, mm. the real facts. You know, so in this in this rule, you know, where, what was your role in the in in the failure or the shortcoming? And once you acknowledge that, you can get on your way to fixing it and improving it. You want to get personal again? Go for it. A time when uh, maybe you had to take that step back and realize that you were blaming A, B, C, or D for the problem when you could just tweak a few things and, and, and reposition yourself. Oh, <laughs> man, God. This, this could be... This not <laughs> You're a, like, welcome to my life story. And, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot of different uh, narrations on any storyline that happens. I mean, if you talk about the big one, the big events that led up to my, you know, my terminal illness, what was it? My departure from reality... Uh, using alcohol on a daily basis to produce a feeling to relieve my anxiety, or was it my inability to just simply ask for help and say, "Listen, I'm something's out of control. You know, I'm not this perfect CEO person. I'm, you know, struggling on a daily basis. I need help." Right. And once you own that and you say, "I made a mistake. I had the wrong strategy. I was living a lie." Once you own it, you make progress from it, and there's nowhere else to go once the secret's out. You know, when you, you know when you're failing with your health, your your physical appearance starts to change. So I was losing weight; my skin was getting discolored. I was literally right up almost until the end. You know, thinking I was losing weight, I was lying to myself, like, "Oh, my weight's fine. My weight loss program's finally working." I was I was sick, and I never I never until I acknowledged it. I said, "Well, I think that was a tipping point of transformation for me. Like, I'm no longer this identity, this perfect." Uh, version and persona that mask that you know that's the, the word for mask that you wear that you're not this person you're somebody else mm. and then you own it and then um, you can start to at least make progress from that worst point in life so what i say is the very few advantages of being so brutally broken and on the brink of failure is that any progress away from that low low point is a is an incremental improvement noticeable improvement creates more momentum and once you start getting momentum, you get positive feedback, and you can start making progress, you know, in a, in a, in a truthful, uh, a, a truth-based uh, path instead of what I, you know, what I was living was basically a lie. Mm. Powerful stuff. Take a bite of that one. Woo. <laughs> um, Move on to number seven. Pause what is meaningful. Pursue. Pursue. You Numbers just walked into a typo, a T-Mac typo. <laughs> uh, number seven, pursue what is meaningful, not what is expedient. Um, that's life. What did uh, your friend, did your friend write that book called The Obstacle is the Way? I always liked that book. The Obstacle is the Way. He talks about Stoics and Epicurean. Right, right, right. right. The Stoic, um, the way the Stoic is the harder way, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, the... The easiest thing is never what is best for you in the long run. Right. Um, and what what if, there was another way to put that first order thinking. Yeah. Like yeah. So like first, second, third. So if you're sitting down, there's a, a chocolate bar in front of you. First mm -hmm. order thinking is um, if I take a bite, it'll taste good. Right. And then you sort of go down the list, and when you get to third order, it's like, well, tomorrow I'll feel terrible. Don't touch it. Right. Or it's in the long run, it's not you know, uh, what I ultimately want or it's not helping me get to what I need to, to, to obtain. That's a, that's an is, is interesting point. Uh, first order, I forget the book that was in first order thinking, uh, atomic habits. It might've been, but yeah, that the, the first thing, if the first thing is good, the second and third thing are usually not. 
If it's good and easy, the second and third thing. It's the thing to think about in life, you know, working out, dieting, mm. uh, building building high quality long term relationships are almost always a little harder at first. Yeah, I remember my college roommate, uh, and he's probably listening. He listens to our podcast. I had a basketball hoop. My dad gave me this Budweiser basketball hoop. I put it on the back of my door my first day in college, right? And this big dork came into my room. He took the basketball, and he slammed it, and he hung on the rim and broke it. My father gave that to me. I hated that oh, guy for, man. like, three weeks. <laughs> He's my best man at my wedding. Yeah. <laughs> my best friend, you know? She got a little bit of leeway. Yeah, with his. yeah so it took time, you know? <laughs> first order, I wanted to punch him in the face because he broke my, my basketball hoop. Right. You know, we joke about it to this day. But early stuff is usually not as easy as long-term good for you. For, for you know, if we're continuing with the personal examples. Yeah, you give me one. Yeah. Um, monetization of a platform. Uh, in our space, I see it all the time where people want to make a buck before adding value. Mm-hmm. And so, oops, that was... Um, one of the things that I stood by that I was incredibly grateful for is is being able to build a platform and establish relationships and add value before, you know, making that move. Um, and now, ultimately, you have this rock-solid foundation that you can grow and pivot and, and now really explore that side of things. Whereas if you push it too fast, too quickly, um, you lose out on a lot of the possibility and the upside. But people don't see that. That's, that's you know, you got to look beyond Right well, that, that's a good point here in the first order of thinking because you know, I've, I've, I've been in rooms where people are telling you that you got to turn out more content more quickly, and to do so, you need to be more cookie cutter. Right. You're like, that's like telling a world class chef to start you know, using frozen food. Right. I mean, talk about that. that I mean, the, the, the first order of thinking is you could take a, I, and I'm going to B roll and stuff and like music that you write. You write the music to some of your stuff. And yeah. Well, the, the, the art of it, and I think what's most impactful in storytelling is that it's your experiences and your stories. And sometimes that's not the quickest, you know, it's not, it's not cookie cutter and it's not quick and it takes time. And, but ultimately it's what's relatable. So there were times when I could, I could watch, you know, like we were talking about a, a little while ago, person A, B, C, or D and emulate exactly what they do, mm-hmm. um, which is the formula that everyone follows. And I know it works. Um, mm-hmm. or you can try and carve out your own little space. And I think this is what you're getting to is that um, that's ultimately in the long run more powerful, more effective, more impactful, um, but it takes more time and it's a little bit dangerous and it's right. slower and, yeah. yeah. Early on, less rewarding financially as well. Way less, yeah. I mean, it took it took time, yeah. um, which, you know. You're a stoic. You talked I'll about the, the two group, the, well, there's three Greek Greek uh, camps, right? The Stoics, which were long-term thinking. They do 100-year plans. Then you got the Epicurean, which were YOLO. You only live once. Mm. So you're taking a Stoic approach to building your uh, authentic content. Right? Yeah, that's where it's at. Homemade. Very cool. All right. Uh, eight, tell the truth or at least don't lie. That one takes me back. We're in storytelling mode now. That one, yeah. uh, you know, takes me back to to the corporate world as a, as a kid right out of college. I remember one of my biggest problems was, or challenges was, um, an inability to be direct. Like I would sit down with someone in a meeting and they would be showing me a presentation, and instead of just saying I have no idea what that means, 
I'd talk for 12 minutes <laughs> and like no one would understand. It's like cutting through. And if you're, you know, um, that's not an example about passion. If it's something you believe in, whatever the case may be, the more direct you are, um, the more it's going to be felt and, and the bigger the impact. Yeah, that's been you become pretty unpopular when you're direct. I don't think you had a problem with that anymore. No, you have to be. <laughs> it's like you lose if you if you're not. Yeah. You beat you beat around the bush. Someone else will beat you to it. Right. I mean, if you someone if you don't beat around the bush, you don't beat around the bush. If you're if you're not direct, you? someone will beat you to it. Oh yeah, I mean yeah, and they're the ones that that uh, you took the beating. You know, you look like an idiot if you if you do it like that. But. Uh, <laughs> Seriously, you do. You're like, oh, that's great stuff, and the thing flops. Right. Like we have people look at it. You know, their their company. Remember that you know, folks come to us with their 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 messaging. You know, we have a particular good talent in messaging, and people come with something. You can say, oh, that's great. You know, make a little change. Right. And then charge them, and it does not going to work. Right. You, know, you just got to tell them this is a bad idea. It doesn't work. Sometimes it tugs on your heartstrings, but yeah. you got to do it. Everyone wins when you're honest. <laughs> Yeah, I see it. I mean, you got to tell people. Right. You got to, you got to, you know, in, in the insurance business, when someone wasn't going to make it, my mentor used to say, you got to sell them happiness. Instead of saying they're never going to make it, you got to say, you'll be happier somewhere else. Mm. This, is not, this isn't going to happen. Right. There's a particular way, like you put it really nice once um, we were talking to, to one of our clients and, um, you were talking about the idea of, of, of kicking them and then hugging them, right? Oh, so yeah. being like real direct, talking about the insufficiencies and then, you know, yeah. um, painting the bigger picture to your point. Like, this is on track to be something incredible. Kiss them, kick them, kiss them. That's, yeah, 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 there we go. Kiss That's, kiss what That's what it is. You're amazing, however. Yeah, <laughs> right. This was horrible and, you know, I love you. Goodbye. Yeah, That's kind of the, the, you know, at least you leave it on a positive note. Everyone does. You can always find the good in somebody. Yeah. But you, if you don't, if you don't say that, that, you know, this is an obvious thing, you get the Persian messenger syndrome, right? If you, I'm if you, not sure what that you is. Know, oh, the Persian messenger that came back and said that they, they lost the war, would the, just, uh, the Persian emperor would kill them. But mm. after a while, they just stopped telling him that they, we won. Oh. <laughs> and they didn't, you know. It's called Persi- Persian messenger syndrome. You're not being truthful with somebody. Uh, but I think I think a, a lot of thing uh, this particular rule talks about your own self, you know, your interpretation of who you are. A lot of people lie to themselves, right? You know, cigarette smokers or people that are uh, you know un- unhealthy habits or unhealthy friends or unhealthy uh, moral behavior uh, lie to themselves. They rationalize. Uh, the the psychology is called cognitive dissonance. It's when your actions and your values are in conflict. You have a resolution process in your mind. That's why we have fat doctors that smoke. Right, the cognitive dissonance. So, um, if you're truthful with yourself, you're you 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 less likely to have that detachment. Right, right. From reality. Yeah, that was a big point. You start to build your reality around things that aren't true. And then your plan, your entire plan is not going to work because right. it's fake. Uh, you know these fake identities that we manufacture. Right, right, right. Out of convenience, because sometimes it's just easier just to not tell everyone the full truth. Mm. And go through the giant explanation. That would all. That was always, um, you know, as a as a creator, um, one of my biggest fears, particularly starting, because it's like you want to show your 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 work to the people around you, mm-hmm. but you don't know like how truthful people are being and saying it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good, and you don't want to build this false narrative around what works, and you know what I'm saying? Right. Um, yeah, it's a very, a very similar thing. Well, that when you're stretching yourself, too, uh, this, is, this is dangerous, because you could get bad feedback and the thing could still work. That's true. Right. There, it's yeah. not a black and white thing. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've not liked things you've done that done well. 
right? Yeah. Right? Yeah. I like your music, and your music doesn't do as well as your, your, your videos. Very true. You know, it's, uh, but I think, I think people are familiar with something, and then, uh, you know, they, they do it, and they see something that's out, out of pattern, and it doesn't always work. Yeah. Right. All right, let's move on to assume the person that you're listening might know something that you do not. Mm, this is a tough one because he, he mentions here even people, even adversarial um, or adversaries, um, even when it's most difficult. You can be uh, someone that always knows, always wins, or you can be someone that grows. Right. And uh, it's so powerful. Every, no, I just look. Remember, I showed you that video that Tony Robbins interviewed that AI robot. Yeah, that was cool. I, what was her name? Sophie. Yeah. And it's pretty pretty eerie that you know the algorithm she can in, she can understand in language she can, um, you know she's programmed to speak and and uh, learn uh, learned learning computer learning. Um, and it was pretty. I mean, if you haven't watched it, you ought to watch it. But the one thing I got from it was, why do you exist? And the first thing she says is, humans suffer from severe confirmation bias. They they are so attached to something that they've shouted out to the world. It's pounded into them deep, even if it makes no sense. Right. Right. And we've seen examples of it. You know, people that just have these irrational beliefs. You see it in cults a lot. You know, people are 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 given an idea and it's built on over time and they've started to shout it out. So now they believe it so much so that you could never possibly talk them out of it. Um, but when you don't listen to people, here's the point. When you don't listen to people and you don't think anyone has anything to add to your life, you, you open yourself up for a lot of danger. hundred yeah. um, percent. You see it now, particularly in, in the political realm. Yeah. Well, think about the idea of, cutting what's right and what's wrong with the world into two camps. Yeah. I mean, that, that on its face is absurd and doesn't make sense. Um, let alone putting a fence up and castigating one side is morally bankrupt or another side is intellectually bankrupt. I mean, whatever the case may be. Right. It's like, no, that you have to go beyond that, that, that preconceived notion or whatever it is you built, that idea, and understand that there's always something you can learn. Um, you know, I, someone's point of view, like all we are is the manifestation of what we grew up with, our understandings, yeah. our views of the world. And so simply asking sometimes and making a point to understand an opposing point mm -hmm. of view can change your life. It could. Yeah. Not let alone the relationship between you and that person. Yeah. You know? Um, I mean, I mean there's, there's world problems that are out there. There's 10 of them. If you Google it, they're always changing the top 10 world problems depending on the, the, the report. But the polarity of these types of problems go from, you know, clean water to terrorism to education to global warming, mm -hmm. right? Ex you know, species being extinct. There's all these problems. Um, and there's no one political policy will solve all the problems. Right. So if you don't have advocates for these different things and you have people that are really passionate, it doesn't take you long to figure out how, how someone's passionate about something. Right. Within a very short period of time, they'll tell you. And if, they, if they're passionate, that means they know something about it, and that means you can learn something about it if you can. And I always like to learn things. I was, we were in Cuba. Remember when we went to Cuba and we were learning? We had a guide there. Yeah. And yeah. you know, she was asking us questions. You know, she wasn't close to communism, right? She grew up communist, but she was asking us questions, like literally like a, a dry sponge waiting for water. Right. And, you know, we spent a lot of time with her talking to her about 
different ideals. And I was curious about why uh, we, well, we met two people. We met, met a cab driver who had nothing but great things to say about Cuba. Remember, mm-hmm. his house was, the tornado came in and blew the roof off his house and the government came in and fixed his house and he was praising the government. Right. Like, Cuba's amazing. Um, and then the other one was um, our guide who, who who secretly married and her husband's here in Miami. Right. Right. And then she's there and they're trying to figure out how to get her out of Cuba. Yeah. Two different opinions, but I learned something from both people. Exactly. You know, one person perfectly happy, the other person's perfectly miserable. Right, right. Yeah. And and maybe not that example particularly, but the truth is usually somewhere in the middle. Yeah. You know. I don't know anything about. I don't know. Any, you know, I don't know the real story of it. And and you know, I know I know what we know, and they know what they know. And these, right. You know, so who who knows what the real story is? But I learned a little bit about it. Those politicians Be- had nice houses. Yeah, I wasn't going to say, oh, Cuba's horrible. The politicians are driving Mercedes. I mean, I kind of know. I can't. <laughs> but the, uh, you know, the if I didn't listen, like Cuba's not. You know, they get particularly the, the cab driver talking about how amazing Cuba was. I wasn't shooting his ideas down. Right. Like, of you, course, oh, you, of you know, where are the fish? We don't have any fish. You're on an ocean right here. There's no fish we can eat. Right. There's beans in your store. I didn't go there because I want to hear what he had to say, which is very it was enlightening. Yeah, yeah, for me it was. I'm yeah. usually a know it all, so I got to shut up. <laughs> that's, this, this, that, that's what this idea means. Shut up, more. Shut up and listen. Close your. You know, that's what psychologists do. A good psychologist doesn't do anything but listen. Gives you a problem. You know what, what was the problem? He's, he he's, he mentioned the book like, what do you think's wrong with you? <laughs> Remember that he goes, what do you think's wrong with you? And he lets yeah, the yeah. client talk for one or two years. <laughs> he said after a couple of years they figure that's about right. And then he says, what? What do you ought to do to fix it? So it's another two years, but at least it's discovered. Right. You know, you can discover a lot of your own stuff. They they say the most intelligent person in the room, the, or the person considered the most intelligent person in the conference room, is usually the one that says the less, yeah. or says the least. I'm having trouble just using basic sentences today. So speaking you're, you're of that guy. Less, I've been in conference <laughs> rooms. You don't say much. Pretty, I don't. Pretty quiet. It, well, it blows my mind. Like I meet with people sometimes, yeah. and they just talk. Right. They just talk. No one thinks or <laughs> listens. Um, yeah. So that's a, a big one for me. It hits yeah. home. And it cost me a lot of money in these lips over the years. <laughs> we have a we had a guy, right? <laughs> this is a true story. Guy got in a car accident. Pretty good salesperson, you know, making a six figure income. Jaw was wired shut from a he broke his jaw. Wired shut. Couldn't talk. Right? For about I think eight weeks. Oh, this is my favorite right? story. Yeah. Yeah, eight yeah. weeks this guy couldn't talk. And he had the Biggest year of his career. Well, his mouth was wired shut. <laughs> if that's not a lesson for the world. Yeah, because this guy was a talker. So he just shut. The people are probably finally finally happy to be able to talk. Yeah, that's um, good stuff. Yeah. All right, this is a cool one. Be precise in your speech. Yeah, I think uh, we, may have, we may have dipped into that earlier. Um, but uh, essentially, be direct. Um, you know, if you mean something, say it. Um, yeah, we definitely did. We weaved that into a previous one, but um, yeah, precision is uh, exactness. Like, call it what it is, right? Don't dance around it. Right? It's kind of we did kind of talk about it a little bit, but right. being precise in your speech is, you know, being very direct and very very uh, exact with what exactly you're saying. Yeah. Um, and he t- you know, I think he talks about arguments that people are having with each other. A lot of times it's over some obscure thing that's a departure from the real issue. Right. Right. Like if it, <laughs> you start talking about, well, I want to go here on vacation. You want to go there. And pretty soon you're insulting each other's mother, <laughs> you know, which has nothing to do with the situation at hand. 
The resolution is just to come to an agreement on the reality of the of the argument. Right. All right. But it's kind of a cool thing. We kind of hit that. Um, I vote. I vote. We bump right along here. We got. We got two more. Do not bother children when they are skateboarding. Um, kind of a cool concept. Who skateboards. I broke my arm skateboarding. Did anyone try to stop you? Um, it was. It was actually a really embarrassing moment. I, I think it was fourth, fifth grade. I walk up to the skate park and uh, see my friend, and I wave and drop in, and as soon as I drop in, just flew back and, and broke my arm. So that was like the quickest, um, yeah, quickest day at the skate park I've ever had. Skateboard. Your parents tell you not to. You break your arm. They're pretty. They were kind of just like, do your thing. Like the BB gun thing in the Christmas Carol. You shoot your eye out. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, um, that was tough. I'm still, still not like I just sit for months because I broke it here and then up here in the top, and I sat like. I, my cast was like this for a long time, and right. I, I don't know if I ever rehabbed that right. It's still a little. I think long. I think he talks about this is like overprotected, overprotecting your kids, and over you know just overprotecting even yourself. Like things, if you're going to do things that are a little risky, what's the opposite of doing things that are too risky? Right. Not doing anything at all risky. So it's it's like the opposite of um, of love isn't hate. The opposite of love is indifference. You know, doing nothing, never never loving. Right, um, and that I think that's true with this type of things. Like, if someone's trying something risky, like going on an adventure, like a senior in, or a, a kid graduates from high school, and grabs a backpack and goes to Europe. Imagine that you raise this kid for eighteen years. They say, "I'm going to go on a, I'm going to hike Europe." That happens, right? Some parents shut her down. You know, don't let her. I mean, I don't know if that's that's extreme. I don't know how I'd feel about it. My son didn't do that either of them, but yeah, I can see where. You know, it could be an amazing growth opportunity. Yeah, I mean, it's like it's like taking the principles from from um, rule number two and applying them. It's like you want to see growth. You want the kid pushed out of his or her boundaries, right. um, but you don't want them to feel like they're constantly failing. So there's got to be some level of incremental success and discomfort. Um, right. You know, the, from chaos. It's the beginning of the book, right? The, the the fine line between chaos and order, the yin and the yang, those two serpents that are that are battling in that line that, that goes in between them. Um, and there there's a there's a concept in there like at the end of life when you can't do certain things. There's a beginning of life when you can't do certain things or they don't you don't want them to do certain things. And then at the end of life when people are old and frail, like the rule of thumb in a nursing home is don't ever do something for those people that they can do for themselves. Because that'll be one less day they live. Mm. Wow, that's the same kind of concept with your kids. It's like make sure they're doing things they mo- they they almost can't do. Because if they stop doing things they almost can't do, they'll s- stop trying to do anything. Right. And I think that's uh that's a that's definitely not enough chaos in your life. Yeah, kind of comes full circle. Yeah, I think as as a, a early thirties um, reader here. Five and eleven, like I, I made an effort to see what I can pull out and apply to my own mm-hmm. life, but just not having children is a little bit of a stretch. Yeah. But um but I, I definitely see the value there and I understand that sort of um, you know, the the rough and tough, you know, get out there, fall on your face, learn, grow, explore. I mean, that's that's sort of what that's the essence of life. Yeah. Um, and you're receiving guidance from your parents. You have a close relationship with both your parents. Right. You gotta almost That's sit, true. Sit, I never looked sit, at it that sit way. Sit in their chair for a second. Like yeah. things that they want to see you be successful. What happens when you're not? Right. What do they think? You know, they they feel it. 
well, that was a big fear for me. Yeah. It's like they've invested everything, everything yeah. into me. They, I mean, just amazing people. And it's like that is in the background, back of my head. Every time I make a decision, yeah. it's like you know, you gotta, you gotta make sure that dividends are ultimately being paid at some point. Yeah, the way your way your parents love you, I'm surprised they're not. They don't have 11 computers with 35 different social personalities liking all your stuff. <laughs> like the job. That's a it's a business idea. <laughs> they keep tapping it. Like right, right, what right. do they say? Like a bot. Yeah. Uh, well, that's like your your parents don't want to see you fail. It hurts. Right. It hurts no when your kids right. hurting, and it, and it hurts to watch them almost get hurt. Right. This is the bottom line. Um, but but the but the challenge is not allowing yourself or them to do anything that's risky. Mm. And always, always, uh, and that's where you might be in your life if you're like, do I do this? Uh, you know, first of all, you're your own parent, right? <laughs> so if you think it's risky or too risky, uh, you know, you got to figure out what that is. And if it's not risky at all, you're probably in the wrong place. Yeah. Like, I think life's about balancing chaos and order. That's why I like that. I finally understand the symbol. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. incredible. Um, 12, and ultimately, I think my favorite. Um, pet a cat when you encounter one on the street big metaphor for um, seeking out and making a point to, to see the beauty in life even in the darkest of times um, mm -hmm. so just such a beautiful chapter um, dips into it's it's real personal for him like he's talking about his, his daughter mm -hmm. being sick and sort of going through two years of hell and just making a point to find the good things because they're always there, you know, can be the difference between hell and simply tragedy. It can get you through a dark time, you know. Life yeah. is peaks and valleys. Everyone goes through valleys. Um, but how you internalize it and what you choose to see when you're going through that, it's big. Yeah, the, um, he talks about tragedy, you know, someone dying, watching them die. And yep. the, the, bigger, the bigger pain is watching someone dying that doesn't want to go. They're just fighting and holding on for everything. It's hard to watch that. Uh, my dad died last October, and you know we were there. And when I got there, he, he was uh, already kind of. Well, first of all, when I got there, I didn't know why I went home, but I went home and I got him. But my mom said he's in the hospital, so I went and got it. The New York Post. My father liked to read those those tabloids for some reason. <laughs> you know the foolish tabloids about like Princess Diana. My dad loved those things, so I got him a paper. I went to the hospital. As soon as we get there, my mom and I are there. The doctor says, uh, we need to talk to you. I was like, well, I've been here before. That's not a very good conversation. They take you into the room. And they said he's, he's fading. Um, you know, and it was luckily it was a very peaceful, you know, passing. You know, my brothers, my, my brothers got there and my other brother got there and, and, and he went to sleep and, you know, they, they, it went away. OK, um, but sometimes that's not the case. You know, if you see someone, you're seeing someone go, and they, they're, and it's a sad thing, and then they're fighting because they want to stay. Right. That's the difference. He called. He says the difference between tragedy and pure hell. Um, so always see, you know, if it's if it's hell, try to see the tragedy because it's better than the hell. Right. Um, and that's true. Like, you know, when I was when I was on the way out, it was um, I was relating to a story I heard about and I read about Socrates when he was when he violated his own rule and he was put to death. He had an opportunity to, to go to Rome, make a new academy. They were going to take him, I guess. And he ended up uh, deciding that he's going to, his fate is going to, he, he took the, uh, you know, the medicine and died. Because uh, he, he said that maybe, that maybe death is a good thing. Maybe there's something there I'll, I'll you know, I'll explore for everyone. And uh, that was kind of something I, was, I thought was an interesting way to look at the end of life. Yeah. But um, there's always good, no matter how bad it is, there's always something good to come of it. 
Right, right, right. Plus, you can always come back. That's true. You can always make a comeback. Everybody loves a comeback. As an, oh, like a Tom Brady comeback. It's happening next year. I think that guy, by the way, I think he got down in games on purpose. Him and LeBron James, all of a sudden, they're down like unwinnable, and they're like, oh, I finally put myself, so now I'll turn it on and win. What do you think about that? It's pretty conspiracy theory-ish, <laughs> but... Yeah. Oh, man. I There were some... Uh, he's just... Like, you can watch some people and really just be inspired by their demeanor. Yeah. I always thought it was so cool that no matter what is going on on the field or what the situation is, he's tossing the ball on the sideline. He's calm. Oh, it's man. like there's never... And you can take things from that. Yeah. You know? It's contagious, man. His calmness is contagious. It is. It is. You know, and that was uh you always see him take the field. He's just like calm. He's, he's there's a certainty about him that's contagious to the team and the team rallies around him almost always. Yeah. Can you tell we're from Boston? Ooh. Yeah, that'll cost us a thousand. That <laughs> <laughs> cost us a thousand viewers. Um that's okay. <laughs> there's always good chaos from that order. That's right. That's um, right. We're um you know, we're here probably at the end, you know, looking at this book, uh, 12 Rules with Jordan Peterson, um, Antidote to Chaos. And if you haven't read it yet, uh, super uh, awesome book, great rules to live by, great rules to teach your kids by. Pretty quick read. Yep. Yeah. Um, and lots of stuff that obviously you can apply. I mean, we went through a lot of these and, and you know, told the story with our own history and our own situations everything's really applicable which is why it's sold so many copies um there's it's like uh it's like a blueprint to improve your life um which a lot of books try to do but very few are are as effective um and so i i I would really advocate checking it out um i think it'll go a long way you bet all right well until next week we got relentless on the docket that's a that's a big shift Relentless. Tim Grover. He was Michael Jordan's coach. And Kobe's. Uh, Going from good to great to unstoppable. Boom. All right, guys. Have a good week. Take care.